grew up in California with the whole biotech industry really booming in Southern California and San Diego. Left and right, biotech companies popping up and doing very revolutionary new discoveries in biosciences. I decided to stay with the biotech track. I actually ran into my advisor when he was much younger in San Diego. He became a faculty member at University of South Carolina. And I shot him an email. I said, look, the contingent of coming to South Carolina is that you and I start a company. And after completing my PhD, barely, uh, <laughs> we decided to start that first company called ANQ Nano Designs. And that one was uh, awarded a CDC SBIR award to design a vaccine stabilization for measles. And then during that time, I met with another co-founder for IMCS. We were talking about new technologies to incorporate on iMix tips. And from there, we also talked about, hey, there's an enzyme that's really dirty in the industry. And can you make a cleaner, better, faster enzyme? And like I said, within six months, we found one and we were able to commercialize and that's all history. I'm Kim Chris, Director of SC Tech and Cybersecure SC at the South Carolina Council on Competitiveness. And I'm Joseph Nutter, co-founder of Design Sensory and PopViz. We're talking to some of the most interesting minds in the South. They're hands-on, they're driven, and they're sharing their notes on business and creativity, entrepreneurship and leadership, failure and growth, and so much more. The power of science, medicine, and biotechnology to help save lives and ensure our way of life has been a recurring narrative, both globally and on this podcast, the past few years. We continue to speak with innovators on the threshold of major biotechnological breakthroughs, ones that promise to be a game changer for society. It's no different here with Andrew Lee. His future success means the difference to millions of people who suffer and may suffer from Alzheimer's and dementia. That's why private and public partnerships rally together and marshal the resources to fund basic and applied research, like the space program or Operation Warp Speed or even the internet. Society makes these big bets as a manifestation of our collective hope in a better future. Let's learn more about Andrew Lee and his effort to do something truly remarkable. Hi, my name is Andrew Lee, and I am the co-founder and chief scientific officer for IMCS, or Integrated Microchromatography Systems. We're film, filming here at the R&D facility of IMCS. So I actually oversee the uh, research and development program for new products and existing products. And uh, that also includes the applications and application developments. So you take a product, and how does it get incorporated into customer workflows? Um, oversee all the production and the operation side. So IMCS currently has about three different product lines. Uh, the first product line called IMIX Zyme. It's used primarily in urine drug testing. And it is a fancy word for it, of course, the technical term beta-glucuronidase. And we have different variants of it uh, used heavily for, like I said, urine drug testing or toxicology. The second product line is called IMIX Tips. 
It is a loosely containing um, extraction tool or a consumable. And it's heavily used for target purification or a variety of biologic purification in a high throughput manner. So if you're doing hundreds and hundreds of these purifications, you want it automated and scaled up. Our technology, our product is part of that scale up. The third product line is, I'd call it a sweet product. The reason I call it the sweet product is the study of a lot of different sugars. So we're making a bunch of enzymes that enable the scientists and others to make complex sugars. So sugars are pretty important. Um, I think in the news, we hear a lot about the infant formula and they're comprised of various sugars. Uh, very important aspect of building immune systems or your uh, immunity for bacterial infections or virus infections. Sugars all play a role in this. So to summarize, Andrew oversees R&D at the Integrated Microchromatography Systems, or IMCS Lab, and the implementation of its products into the workflow of their partners. IMCS has three products, a urine drug test, eye mix tips, which are used for biological purification, and the study and the production of enzymes that can make complex sugars. We're going to come back to the sweet product, or the sweet sciences, but let's go back to where IMCS began. So the history on IMCS, how we got started, is actually on the first product. Um, there's a long story to this, but the company name IMCS actually stands for Integrated Microchromatography Systems. Chromatography sounds, uh, it's actually defined as the study of separations. And the focus was really on iMix tips. But uh, within about six months, we found and discovered a variant of iMixzyme that worked really well. So we spent probably about five years ensuring that product was available to everybody in the world. Uh, hence the first product line, iMixzyme, really got started and um, really supports a lot of our efforts now. Reinvesting the uh, profits from iMixzyme is supporting a lot of the works that we're doing for iMix tips, as well as the third product line, the Sweet Sciences. Andrew and his co-founders were on a mission to make what would be their first product, iMix tips, but their research led to a groundbreaking enzyme, which they pivoted to be their actual first product. It now funds much of the research and development of other product lines. It's clear to me, Andrew knows how to run a startup. I always wanted to do more of a startup uh, workflow. So I applied to many internships to work at the local biotech companies in San Diego, washing glassware, doing some lab work, pipetting here and pipetting there, running gels you know, routine lab um, duties. And then from there, just kind of getting an insight into their whole hypothesis. What is their objective? What is their end goal? Kind of learning about why they want to do certain things. I spent a year at uh, Allergan. I think Allergan was also acquired in Irvine. Uh, spent two years at Scripps Research, uh, doing some lab work. So it wasn't just directly out of undergrad that I went straight to business. There were moments of working as a technician here and there doing quite a few internships, and then coming over to do my PhD. And then from the PhD, I was still moonlighting half-time um, as the entrepreneur, but mostly focused on research work too. Any students that are involved in this, you know, the sciences, life sciences, or even in engineering fields, if you're looking to spin off a company in this area, I strongly recommend building a very solid technical knowledge base or a business skill set. You need a very, very strong skill set in one or the other so that you can actually be pivotal 
in starting up a company. Uh, you're not gonna start by yourself and you need to recruit partners. And those partners are gonna look to you and say, what skill set do you have that I don't have? And as a pair or as a team, that strengthens this entire team and provides new opportunities for success. So as an undergrad, when you graduated fresh out of college, uh, sad to say, there are probably about 200, 300 of you who have very similar skill sets. But if you actually did your internships, if you actually worked in the industry, got your leg up and explored a bit more about that area, you will find really the cracks in that whole operation. And those pain points are your opportunities for innovation and a business opportunity. When we interview and meet um, what I would consider to be some of the more foremost scientific and medical minds on this show, um, they never cease to amaze me with the, the modesty they bring. You know, they come and they talk about it. And by the end of the interview or conversation with them, you realize, oh my gosh, you, you know, if, if your breakthrough works or, um, you know, if you make it to market or, or for that matter, if it's just simply applied um, and you're there, you're going to change this world for the better. You know, and, and they don't ever talk about it like that. And when we met with Andrew, <laughs> lo and behold, it was the same thing. He's talking about the sweet sciences and has work with molecules. And, and in the end, you know, you're sort of like, oh, interesting. That could really change things. And then you go back and you're like, wait a minute. He might be on the path to, to really solving something that's impacting what, like one out of four people. Life changing, yeah. li literally life changing, revolutionary for sure. And, you know, when he's talking about the sweet sciences, the technology that they're developing is um, could could change the path of these neurodegenerative diseases. So we're talking about Huntington's disease, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and what he's developing could change the way the sugars in our brain allow those viruses to attach mm -hmm. and and would stop these diseases before the brain progress, yeah. yeah progressed exactly yeah. maybe when you're in the middle of it you don't realize or maybe you do you realize the gravity of what it is you're doing but i suppose you can't dwell on that every day you just have to go about doing the work i feel like we got to start this episode talking about the influence that he could have and his work could have and i think that's a great frame to get into this conversation with andrew because you know if this guy and his team is successful one out of every four listeners on this on this podcast uh your life will be changed for the better um and it may not be you right and we talked about this it may be someone that you care for it may be your uh, your 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 daughter or your son um but it, it, you know let's all pull for andrew because you know these are diseases that are horrible and if he can do something about that that's great i think anyone who has had a loved one with one of these diseases would agree this is probably one of the major health crises in our you know world mm -hmm. it affects not just the person but the entire family unit when you know grandma can't remember who you are anymore it's not only terrifying for grandma it's also sad for the whole family so this this yeah. could be something amazing with andrew this is just one of the many things mm -hmm. that he has been working on um, all of them equally impressive and and that's part of the really great aspect of his story his first product actually allowed him to have the funding and growth to start on the next product 
IMCS. For this one, we actually bootstrapped ourselves. We recruited a couple friends and they were early investors. And with that, and of course, the luck of finding that enzyme within six months, we were able to generate enough revenue after the first year that we reinvested all of that profit and grew the company. So we are actually from IMCS, without any VC money, all from Bootstrap, reinvesting all of the profits back to do our growth. Self-funding was certainly a source of pride for Andrew and company. However, IMCS has also been the recipient of SBIR funding for its invaluable work. So uh, the process for securing SBIR, uh, SBIR is a small business innovative research grant from the uh, National Institute of Health. And they have series of different programs to kind of boil it down to the essence. You submit a nice research package proposal. You also submit a business proposal along with that application. A few pages of research proposal, a few pages of the commercialization or business plan. And the National Institute of Health has a review board and they'll review uh, several different applications and they'll score accordingly to the innovation, the technology, feasibility, relevance, and your commercialization plans. And they'll give you, you know, your first phase as sort of the innovation part, which is typically about six months to 12 months of research work and your continued development of the technology. And then you could potentially, if you're successful with that, you can go to phase two. For more information on the SBIR, there's plenty of other support programs locally here in South Carolina. So again, I wouldn't be afraid to ask about a lot of those SBIR. And I'm sure there are plenty of others who are more uh, familiar than I am, actually. Andrew's comment there at the end, a nod to asking others for support and acknowledging when others are a better fit for something is very indicative of his journey in business. As a scientist, I have no background in business and acknowledge it early and let that go. So I know as scientists, we get very, very... Uh, strong-headed and strong-willed, and that is all part of research and uh, learning how to fail, but also doing all that, you know, testing of hypothesis. But just acknowledge that your weakness is your business end of it. Uh, you don't have background in marketing. It's a very important aspect. You have no background in sales. In interacting with customers is a very important aspect. And most scientists are kind of sheltered in their laboratory or their IV towers. Uh, you could be kind of obtrusive or rude to the customers and you lost all your sales opportunity. So remember your weaknesses and just let that go and let somebody else who's more talented, let them take over. And you can focus and laser focus on really your key strengths. And over time, you can build upon your communication skills as well as soften up maybe of those rough edges so that maybe you can interact with the customers in the future and develop new ideas for your new technologies down the road. But first, whatever your weakness is, just acknowledge it and let somebody else do it. Acknowledge your weakness. It's an important lesson for everyone looking to build a business. Weaknesses aside, Andrew has plenty of strengths, like his approach to intellectual property. So intellectual property or uh, IP for short, there's multiple layers to it. So you've got your trade secrets. You keep it as internally as possible. Uh, keep it known only to your team members. But if it leaks, you have no additional protection. There's patents. So the government actually enforces those patents and provides you with a certain length of protection. Most people associate IPs with patents, but that's not the only way to do it. 
there are trademarks. So you can actually register your brand name for your design concepts, and that's also government protected. There are additional intellectual property protections that you can strategically implement. But really for the first round, I would go into the patent filings. The patent filings, I would strongly recommend finding a very well-versed patent attorney, not only in terms of the patent law, but also in the technical field that you're working with. So for our patent protections, we work heavily with the patent attorneys out of Boston and San Francisco who are involved heavily in the biotech space. And one question we always ask, do you share your IP? So your IP in your eyes is the most beautiful thing ever. A porcupine and its baby is the most beautiful thing ever. However, it's got spikes, it's dangerous. Not everybody wants to touch your IP. Don't think that everybody's after it. Not everybody's gonna try to steal it. There's a lot of issues with a newly developed technology, newly developed patent. And there are layers that it moves through. So first you have your innovators, you have your academic, and it moves through your startup. You have your VC money. They all take a role into this process of nurturing a company. And then once it comes to a certain scale, there are these large companies, biopharma companies that are multi-billion dollars. They have the marketing arm, they have the outreach arm. They also have a multi-billion dollar manufacturing investment already in place. They have huge infrastructures that not everybody can copy. That is also a layer of IP that you cannot copy their manufacturing scale and to the economic levels that they already have built in. So at that point, they will take up your technology that's already established and fit it into their process. That level of transition is necessary. So you need to nurture that porcupine or the hedgehog to at least a decent, well-behaving adult or a young adult so that it will hand over to a working community. Not everybody wants to adopt the adolescent. The fact of the matter is, is that this, this breakthroughs in science um, and technology often come about because of collaborations in funding in private and in the private and public sector. Um, and, you know, maybe that is arguably the role of government and in some cases the best role of government is because we can s sort of see where the huge pain points are and the opportunities for breakthrough and apply funding, taxpayer dollars really, that then with the breakthrough ultimately affect the quality of life of everybody. And so I know you're very passionate about that here. Can, can we talk a little bit about, you know, the, the initiatives and the funding options that Andrew had um, and, and how that really has made for his success to happen? Absolutely. So Andrew was able to get an NIH federal grant. Um, these programs, SBIRs and STTRs, are federally mandated funding that is set aside by every federal agency to spur technology advancements for societal good, um, also good for government use, military use. And so what happens here is you can apply based on a need, an, an RFP, so to speak, that's put out there. Mm -hmm. And if you have a potential solution, then you get some federal funding to explore that solution. And it allows for us to invest in this international race to be a country that is 
technologically advanced and forward. So we're competing internationally, right? You know, you look at all these other countries that are producing new technology, new, you know, science, and this money helps spur that for the United States. And Andrew was able to get this funding, which helped him be able to do proof of concept. Sure. And do the basic research necessary for that. Absolutely. And, and de-risk that, essentially. Yes. And because it is a it is a grant. You don't, you know, pay this money back. You don't have investors that are now, right. you know, have own part of your company. Mm-hmm. But it also allows for researchers who may not otherwise go forward with commercializing their technology the ability to do that. Because we have a lot of brilliant minds sitting in research universities that don't always want to become entrepreneurs or business owners. That's not the path they've taken, right? They're researchers. They're, that's right. You know, they're working on solving problems, not on building businesses Mm -hmm. always. And so this money also allows for that, that, proof of concept all the way to commercialization. And then in that ecosystem though, right, Kim, like that's when local, regional and state level uh, funding and initiatives sort of come alongside that to then further accelerate that, right? So like if they come out of the proof of concepting phase and indeed they they were able to prove that there is a value in, in their IP or there is the basis to continue, I suppose, the exploration, then it, it shifts to other programs to then continue to help them try to apply or commercialize that idea, correct? And I know South Carolina's got a lot of programs. Yeah, we do. We have a lot of great programs. And we even have a program to help South Carolina um, entities, companies, researchers get that SBIR and STTR funding called Three Phase that did come out of the Office of Innovation at Commerce. And that pairs up these researchers or these businesses with a team of proven grant writers that increase their odds of getting this federal funding. And that team can help them move through the process. It's called three phase because there are three potential phases of funding. That first phase being that kind of ideation, taking it from the idea to the proof of concept, all the way through phase three, which is, you know, really big, you know, millions of dollars. And so South Carolina has invested in our businesses getting the help they need to be a more worthwhile candidate, you know, a better sale of, of their idea. And then, like you said, after that process, we have even more programs to help move that business forward and through South Carolina. This podcast is part of Scribble, South Carolina's voice of innovation. We celebrate and support innovative activity across the state by connecting people to people. Visit scribblesc.com for exclusive interviews, tools, and resources. That's scribblesc.com. Innovation actually has several different layers. If we're talking about it from more of an academic standpoint, you want to be the first to publish, reveal something completely different that was not expected. How does this mechanism work? It was unexpected. 
right? Something that reveals a detail that no one has understood before. In terms of the industry side, innovation has a slightly different tone to it. It's not only that you can find something that's academically revolutionary, you need something that can provide a tool, a very consistent tool that works across the board. So in times, it might sound a little boring for the industry side, however, it's quite innovative. How do you get a product that's consistent and in scale economically uh, to the customers distributed in a uh, very reliable manner? And that provides quality and trust to the customers. That is something that not everybody can do. I cannot say we are successful innovators. Uh, we are continuously innovating and we try to strive to innovate the process for that and to nurture that. There's so many books out there. I don't want to regurgitate a lot of these books out there and they're, they're very, very knowledgeable, but really innovation and failure are very paper thin lines. You, you have to fail, you have to kind of fall uh, before you learn to walk and run. You have to nurture that mentality and we kind of lose that and we get too afraid. So, of course, it's quite scary when you lose millions of dollars and you have failures. However, that is all part of your learning process. You've now spent that much money gaining that much knowledge and you know what doesn't work, but you've also learned why it doesn't work and how you can actually improve to make it work in the next round. Everybody learns from failures and we're just too afraid of making mistakes and we get chastised pretty quickly for making failures. So if we can avoid that, I think that would be very helpful. In terms of that continuation of innovation and delivery of quality, how is that exemplified in IMCS? Uh, the example of it is our NIH awards. We have two NIH fast track awards, which means that we're combined phase one and phase two. We had enough results to demonstrate feasibility and they invested in us to push out and commercialize. So the commercialization of this NIH grant or the sweet sciences are the ability to make sugars or complex sugars in a more affordable manner, economic scale up and quality of it. So the reliability of making sugars is a very important aspect of it. I kind of highlighted early on, hinted at uh, infant formula. There is a component, a very important key component of sugars in infant formula that's lacking and it's too costly to manufacture. But hopefully with our technology, we can deliver these sugars in an affordable, reliable, in a larger scale. So that provides additional nutrients to infants. There's another complex sugar that cannot be made, but with our technology, hopefully that will come to fruition. There's a sugar moiety that actually is prevalent in your brain, but it is a target for cholera toxin. Cholera toxin is pretty bad, simply put. But if you could put a sugar decoy and make this in large quantities, wouldn't it be a beauty if you can drink it and prevent cholera toxin infections? As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we'd be revisiting these sweet sciences. The work that Andrew is doing and the potential applications of it are truly groundbreaking. And the infant formula is just one small example for the potential use case behind these manufactured complex sugars. So where to next? So the next stage of scale up that IMCS is undergoing in terms of the sweet sciences or the complex sugars. Uh, the NIH grant is a huge, huge step up. It de-risks a lot of the new innovations. And we will continue that path with the NIH funds and provide additional R&D funds to IMCS. Now, in terms of scaling up, there are two different tracks. 
you can, at this stage, recruit equity investors or private equity funds or venture capital funds. Like I've said, we've never done our Series A as of yet, so we can do that and leverage that for additional scale-up. But all of that is kind of up and open in the air. Uh, there are different techniques and there are different issues at hand that you need to evaluate, whether you go to the private equity or VC, very similar, or you actually take out a big loan from the bank. Um, at this stage, as a company of this size, banks will provide a certain line of equity to fund your scale-up. As with many business owners, there's a lot going on in Andrew's mind. What keeps him going? As a joke, it might be the iPhone alarm that's waking me up every morning, or the kids jumping on your bed or your face. But in terms of the innovation or the business opportunities that we have, you know, the sweet science aspect of it is revolutionary. I think that's going to be the new frontier that's going to take IMCS to a whole new level. And it's very exciting to see how starting from urine drug testing, going to separation technology or the consumables, and then to build upon that a completely different industry, but leveraging all of our existing core knowledge to go into that different market space is pretty interesting and exciting. So Andrew really mentions how when you're starting out and you're a researcher and you don't always know the process that you need to utilize. And this is another area where South Carolina, you know, is, is really well positioned to help our innovators, our researchers. And Andrew used a lot of South Carolina resources to help demystify some of that business process. You know, he went through University of South Carolina, the Columbia Technology Incubator, that has a really fantastic program that helps with all of those resources and support that you need to succeed. And then he also was able to use the wet lab space at USC to be able to create some of those products in that lab space without investing in that equipment himself initially. Many people don't know that you can use these resources at the University of South Carolina without being affiliated with the University of South Carolina. And that's true of a lot of our resources in South Carolina where you can utilize what they have available without working for them or without being you know, necessarily integrated into the system already. How do you do that? Because I know, I know, I know that Andrew is an alum of of USC, so obviously they're going to support his initiative, and he's probably doing a lot of work there that is in concert with what they're doing with him. But if you if you are in that area or you do want that sort of support, do you reach out to that university, or do you reach out to like someone like you um, at you know at, at SC competes? Well, you could do either one of those, but the other great thing, another resource that we have in South Carolina is Scribble. Another great resource that Andrew has been able to take advantage of is a collaboration between the Department of Commerce and SE Competes, which is my organization. Um, and that's the South Carolina Fraunhofer USA Alliance. This is an international well-known R&D organization out of Germany. And we have a program here just for South Carolina, and it allows for researchers at our learning institutions to be paired with industry. 
and come up with short-term projects that create a high-tech solution. And so Andrew was working with the Fraunhofer program along with the Clemson University um, and the researchers within Fraunhofer. So another way that South Carolina is helping his company to be successful and stay here, you know, in the state locally. Yeah, and that, 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 that's a program I think we've seen in the past, right, Kim? We, we've talked about it. I think CUI Car um, was in Spartanburg is, is an organization through Clemson that also taps that program for advancement in transportation and development of cars. I know big names are attached to that, right? Toyota, BMW. And- oh, absolutely. CUI Car is... Um, uh, an initiative out of Clemson and closely aligned with Fraunhofer, Fraunhofer as well. So we do have a lot of Fraunhofer projects. Yeah, Delta happening. Bravo, I think. You yes, Delta too. Bravo. Last absolutely. Um, I think the fact that, you know, we're throwing out there, these are resources that South Carolina is really working to invest in. You know, we are trying to prepare our state to be forward moving, right, to embrace emerging technology, to be, you know, on the cutting edge. And all of these resources are there to help propel our companies, our businesses forward with the help of government. And if you want to check out those resources, you will find all of them and more at scribblesc.com. And as Kim mentioned, there is a database of resources there that will will reference many, if not all, of the things that we've discussed on this episode, but also more um, equipment listings, uh, resources, mentorship, um, and even some of the uh, grant and funding opportunities that we've covered here. We've talked product development and offerings, funding and approach to innovation. But how did Andrew build a team capable of taking on the challenge of innovation? Personalities. Just tremendous. Trust, integrity, compassion. Uh, Those are kind of all part of our culture as well, that we can work with our collaborators, our our colleagues, and we can trust that they will pull their weight as we provide our input. And when we provide feedback to them, it's not just direct feedback. It is with positive intent. We're all trying to grow and we're all trying to become a bigger, bigger portion of this industry. It's not just me learning my own thing and me executing my own detail. It is all part of being that team effort. I know it sounds very cliche, and like I said, it's all out there. There are plenty of books out there, but what we've done in terms of building a team is really the personality and the compassionate component of it. Uh, It really meshes really just fantastically among everybody here. It starts with the employee growth. So you have to support your employee growth. And that nurtures and brings in additional technologies and that innovation. So investing in your staff is critical. And how we do that is a sort of a multi-pronged approach. We start with attending conferences or scientific tracks for a lot of our R&D scientists, but also technical training events for a lot of our manufacturing or production staff. Quality control trainings, there's plenty of other sources out there, or cross-training between collaborators. So if there is a collaborator that's running a parallel business or a different business that supports your innovation track, you try to cross-pollinate and provide additional tools that the staff that you have, as well as the staff on the other side, they can collaborate and nurture 
new innovations. An example of how we actually invested in one of our staff is to fund the entire graduate program. So came in as an undergrad, worked for us, very talented employee, and we decided to fund the entire uh, graduate program. We also funded a lot of his R&D projects, and this was actually a grant to the university. We've also done internship hires from University of South Carolina, and we've hired a few of those interns at the company as well. I think right now I'll give a shout out to the School of Pharmacy, as well as the Journalism and uh, Communications Department, fantastic students across the board. And of course, uh, my alma mater to the Chemistry Department, uh, very strong programs. Andrew's secret weapon for making sure it all gets done? Again, letting go and asking for help, or as he puts it, delegation. You know, delegation is an important aspect, uh, releasing your duties or responsibilities. I know people have a hard time letting things go because you can do it better. You know how to do it. Uh, it's faster if you do it. However, uh, maybe I was kind of cursed or blessed with this trait. I love to delegate. And maybe that's my curse that I delegate too much with very little information and assume that the best results will come out. Uh, but you do need to train everybody even though you might be able to do it now better, that is part of this entrepreneurship. You need to mentor and let things go so that you can do what's next. And then the person you've trained can take up what needs to be done. And when you train that person, that person will do it probably better, faster than you as you learn new tricks, new technologies. And if you want to stay ahead, you have to let things go so that you can look at what's in front of you. Again, uh, maintaining that work-life balance, you can only do it if you let things go or delegate. If you do everything with your own hands and you have to have everything under your control, uh, your work-life balance is probably skewed towards work and you will really be behind on a lot of different deadlines. So you have to rely on many people so that they will provide you with that work-life balance. Um, again, like I said, I'm only the scientist. In terms of all the other aspects that are important, marketing, sales, admin, HR, those are as important as your discoveries. That's not really part of my responsibility. Those are all delegated to my staff and they do a fantastic job. But when you need help leading, when you need help pushing into the next phase of your business, who do you turn to? A mentor. So mentors come in all colors. Um, you know, you. Anybody who's willing to give you tidbits of advice, any sort of prior life experience, work experience, they're all potential mentors. Um, it's not just someone who's senior or who's had more work experience. They've all got experience around the different edges or different parts of the industry. So I would say my family members, huge help from all of them. My father-in-law, my father, they've had interesting tidbits of suggestions that I've actually come to realize they're very important, even my grandparents too. But uh, in terms of direct mentorship, you know, the business aspects of things, there are so many in Colombia. I won't give out names at this moment, but because I haven't asked if I should release their names or not. But if you need to find a mentor, again, going out, networking, seeing what people do, don't be afraid and saying, what do you do? Hey, I'm trying to do this and I'm looking for a mentor. What's the worst that can happen? They'll say no. If you didn't ask, it was already a no anyways. You're going in with the default answer with a no. If they said yes, 
do it over a coffee break. You paid five bucks for a coffee. I know inflation's costly. Coffee is expensive, or you can make your own coffee. People love to give advice and suggestions, and you can always take bits and pieces from a lot of different sources. So don't be afraid. My name is Andrew Lee. Those were my notes on innovation. Thanks for listening to Of Note. I'm Joseph Nutter. And I'm Kim Christ. This is an original production by the South Carolina Department of Commerce and Design Sensory. Our producer and editor is Hunter Foster, with additional editing support from Cody Langford. Our sound engineer is Mike Deering, with original music by Matt Honkinen. Special thanks to Robin Hendricks and Danny Netherland. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at ScribbleSC. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.